In this episode of Startups for Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about tactics for minimizing disruptions to your vacation. This is Startups for Rest of Us, episode 402. Welcome to Startups for Rest of Us, the podcast helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. We're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. How are you doing this week, Rob? You know, I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired. We landed back from California and uh, landed in Minneapolis last night around midnight and hopped a, a lift with the kids and got home and in bed around one. And then I'm on Pacific time. So had a couple hour time change this morning trying to get up. So a little slow getting going, but overall really enjoyed our time in California. I had talked about previously how we were going to spend some time with my family in the Bay Area. And then our kids had a music camp in San Francisco, and then we went and saw Sherry's folks up in far north California. So overall, it was good. Vacation, some vacation, some kind of work stuff, and some kind of, I don't know, the the camp isn't exactly vacation, right? Because it's pretty intense music practice for the boys each day, and we had to be present and stuff. So it wasn't like we could just kick back and sip martinis or whatever. Oh, you don't get to send them for the day? No, no, and that, you know, that would have been ideal. Yeah, it's less a camp. It's actually called an institute, the the Suzuki Institute. And you go and it's like five or six hours a day of them playing instruments and, and the parents have to be involved uh, to a certain extent. So you're kind of sitting in there with them. So it was, it was, that's where I was like, it's some vacation and it's some not vacation, you know. It was fun in the afternoons and evenings when we took the boys and did stuff, but Otherwise, yeah, got there uns- there and back unscathed, which is which is good when five people are traveling and we lug a cello with us on the airplane. So, and in true um, chaotic fashion, we we're back. You know, like I said, landed last night at midnight, and then we close on our new house tomorrow in Minneapolis. Oh, here. yeah. So we show up and sign papers in the morning. Stick around for a while, then, huh? I know. Yeah, that was the that was the decision. We we really evaluated. You know, after I left Drip a couple months ago. It was a decision point of like, okay, we've been in Minneapolis, you know, a little less than two years and we can move anywhere. And that's actually, that, that always sounds great in theory, but it, when you have no real ties anywhere for work or, I mean, we have family in California, but there's no reason for us to live in any particular city. Uh, I shouldn't say no reason. I should, you know, there's no like requirement that we live in any particular city. It becomes a very difficult thing to tackle you know, it's the paradox of choice, right? It's almost too much, too much choice. So we evaluated going overseas and then we evaluated all these cities on the, basically the West coast and even like, you know, Austin and Denver and Colorado Springs and Sherry throughout Hawaii or Maui and actually all these sound great, right? But then you look at the, what it's actually like to live there and you look at the days of sun per year and you look at the cost of living and you look at what the traffic's like and you read on Quora, you know, you say, what's it like to live in insert city? And you get a feel for, you can start to get a feel for what it might actually be like. And certain ones just right off the bat are just removed from the list. There's just deal breakers that come up. You know, I love the Bay Area. I grew up there and it's the, you know, the tech hub of the world, so to speak. But it is, the cost of living there is outrageous and it always has been, but it's, it's catastrophic basically. And the traffic, like I couldn't, couldn't deal with them. So, and then LA, I would like to live in parts of LA, but the traffic there, you know, it's just on and on and on. There's just things that knock it off. So it was a long and, uh, you know, detailed conversation, but eventually we got to the point where I decided that staying here was the best option of all of them, but it was a good exercise to go through to, 
arrive at a decision and feel good about it and then be like, all right, so we're going to buy a house. And we figure that, you know, this is kind of a 10 year decision. And we have kids that are, that are basically seven, eight and 10. And in 10 years, they'll pretty much all be gone from the house. And at that point we will very likely either keep the house and get a second, you know, one somewhere sunny, or we'll sell the house and, and, you know, completely relocate. I would have completely lost the pool on uh, any bets that might have been placed about where you're going to live after your time at Drip was over, because there's there's no way I would have picked you sticking around in Minneapolis. Like there was no chance. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, thought that and and have told us that. And frankly, I probably would have lost the pool as well. You know, I would have imagined we would probably have moved back to somewhere in California. But there, at a certain point, like quality of life and other things factor in, and and you move to a city that. That is, frankly, an, uh, you know, as we've lived here for two years, because we've lived in a lot of places, right? We've visited a ton and we've lived in a lot. And every once in a while, you find a place where it's like, wow, this is a world-class city with um, world-class amenities, but without so many of the problems of other cities that we've lived in, you know, including location and cost of living and crime and good schools. And, you know, just all that you just go down the list of all the things, access to airport, Delta Hub, you know, all, all the stuff. And as we looked at all the other cities, it was just so hard to even think about giving up each of the things that we have here. And so, yeah, I wouldn't have called it from the start either. I think Sherry might have. I mean, she knew it was a pretty cool city here. I had no idea before we moved here, but that is the story. So we close tomorrow and then we basically move over the weekend. And it's the nice part. The house is only a block away. So it's, it's an easy move. I can move my own guitars and, you know, expensive stuff without worrying about movers trucking it in truck. Yeah. I think that would have been the deciding factor for me was that I wouldn't have had to move my stuff. That's why I would have just stayed there. (laughs) Totally. No, I know. And that I'll I'll admit that used to play a factor, but at this point we've done it enough that it's like, you know what, it's a temporary pain. And if I'm going to make a 10 year decision, I'm going to make the right 10 year decision. And even if stuff gets broken or even if I have to pay more money to have someone move it, let's make the right decision for the long term. How about you? What's going on? Well, I have some potentially good news here. The contract is finally signed for MicroConf Europe. So, and, and that took forever. Like I sent out an announcement a couple of weeks ago and I talked about it on the podcast and we hadn't had signed paperwork in place yet. And the problem that we ran into was we actually had to switch hotels in the meantime. <laughs> so it really sucked to have to like start the process completely over, which is why things stalled for so long. But we do have the signed paperwork was sent over this morning. Everything should be good to go. And MicroConf Europe will be in Dubrovnik, Croatia this year. And it will be from the 21st to the 23rd. So that Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of October. Yes. Looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Buy your tickets now. Oh, wait, tickets aren't even on sale yet. When, are, when do tickets go on sale? Uh, within the next week or two, I'm probably going to send out an announcement over the next couple of days and then give people a little bit of time just to make sure that they can check their plans or whatever. I, do, I don't want to drop it on people and say, hey, here's the date. By the way, here's the link to buy tickets. So give people at least a little heads up. Cool. That's exciting. Glad to have that locked in. Looking forward to seeing folks there in a few months. And then uh, you would ask for an update on the local meetup that I did. That's right. So... I think there were there were five of us who showed up. There were about a dozen people or so that uh, I invited, and some of them just couldn't make it because uh, either the day of the week or it was just a little bit too far based on the location. I tried to pick something that was central to everybody, but obviously, you know, it's going to be farther for some people than others. So for some of them, it ended up being like a two-hour drive, and it just wasn't going to happen. But like I said, five or six of us got together, and you know, it was it was a good time. Everybody was just chatting about what the 
what was going on in their business and how they were doing things and what sort of markets they were going after. So I think two of them were there who had previously purchased my book and then the other two had come in. They were both at MicroConf. So it was uh, nice to see a little mix of those guys. And both of the guys who um, bought my book, were, I think, are also in Founder Cafe as well. Oh, cool. That's always fun, man. Glad to hear it went well. So what's going on today? Well, today we're going to be talking about tactics for minimizing disruptions to your vacation. And the idea for this topic came up because there was a thread inside a Founder Cafe that was posted where somebody was asking, how does everybody else take vacation? Because I'm worried about things like DDoS attacks or servers going down and this and that. So I thought what we'd do is we'd spend an episode looking at different ways that you can kind of mitigate the risks to any of the things that could go on that would just end up disrupting your vacation and make it more stressful to go on vacation than to actually be on vacation. Right. That makes sense. I think this is obviously a concern of, of a lot of founders. And I think in the early days, it's hard to even know how to approach it. And I do hear this question now and again, and this is from a Founder Cafe thread, right, that someone posted in and there was some pretty in-depth discussion about it. So I think this warrants, I think we've talked about this before in a, like a Q&A episode, probably 100 or 200 episodes ago. And I think this warrants like rethinking and refreshing everyone's mind about how to pull this off every so often. So to dive right in, we've broken this up into uh, several different areas of what your business is. And I think the first place to start with is the place where you probably get a lot of headaches that come out of it, which is support requests from either your existing customers or from prospective customers, because you don't want those things to go unanswered for too long. And you just want to make sure that you're responsive to people so that they don't say, hey, what's going on? Why is this business that I've trusted for so long with my data and my application, why are they not responding to me? So ideally, what you would do is you would outsource and empower, like support people to do things for you. The problem is that not everybody's in a position where they even have support people. And that's, I think, the most common situation is if you're one person and you've got your business running, it's a SaaS application or something like that. Like, how do you respond to those support? requests while you're on vacation because you don't want to be, I don't know, like on a Ferris wheel or something like that or just about to get on a roller coaster and suddenly like, oh, you check your email and there's these support requests that seem like they're emergencies and you got to deal with them. So ideally, you'd outsource that stuff. But at the same time, you can also just do some time boxing here. If you block off a little bit of time in the morning and then again in the evening to handle some of those support cases, you can prioritize them. And if it's something that's pressing or an emergency of some kind, uh, obviously there's varying degrees of that. But if it's something where it's a feature request or some data that needs to be added, you can kind of stall for time a little bit. Say, oh, I can get to that tomorrow or the day after, or give me a couple of days. That's probably the, the most common phrase that I use if I'm on vacation is give me a couple of days and I'll get to that. And then if it's stressful, from a couple of days to four or five, it's not usually a big deal, especially if it's early on in your vacation. Yeah. I mean, the first first piece of advice that I give a lot of folks once they get a business to the point where it's making any kind of money is outsourcer support. I mean, this is, and this is relevant to vacationing, but it's more so relevant to the other 45 weeks of the year, you know, depending on how much vacation you take. This is one of the kind of biggest stumbling blocks I see is founders hanging on to support, frontline support for too long. And it's always the, well, it's only a half hour a day or it's an hour a day and no one can do it because my product's really technical. Like it's the same objections every time. And every time, once that exact person, I've seen this over and over and over, once that person finds the right support person, 
doesn't mean you just kind of hire anybody off the street and train them. You may need to hire someone with a little bit of specialization. You may need to hire someone with some prior WordPress knowledge. You may need to hire someone who, you know, I don't know, is an audio engineer on the side and then knows audio stuff on the side. If you have audio plugins, I mean, there are ways to troubleshoot this, right? If entrepreneurs don't say can't as much as other people. And so there are always objections and there are always hurdles. But once, once I see founders outsourcing this, it's always the same realization at the end of, oh my gosh, I should have done that six months sooner. I should have done that a year ago. And that, I think that's, if, if you get nothing else from this episode, if you're still doing support, find someone to do it. And then that, of course, will carry over into times like this. When you go on vacation, it will be so much easier for you to do it. The next one isn't so much as a, a full-blown section, is just a word of advice and caution, which is, uh, I'll say, learn from wisdom of having done this exact same thing. Do not push new code within a week or two of going on vacation. Just just do not do it. And it almost doesn't matter what that code is, because I've seen code that I've pushed live a couple of weeks before going on vacation. This happened this past year with Big Snow Tiny Comp, where I pushed it out, everything looked fine, waited a week, everything was still good, went on vacation, and the very first day vacation, something came up and it was a result of, it was actually wasn't that code. It was code that was even further back from that. And it just, the situation did not come up where it ended up that that bug ended up surfacing to the point where something bad happened and I had to deal with it. But the longer you wait between the time that you go on vacation and the, the time where you've pushed that new code, the more likely you are to f identify any problems with it and be able to fix them. You mean I shouldn't push new code and then hop on a 12 hour plane flight? With no internet? If you, if you have no customers, it's probably not a big deal. But if you do, and they're logging in on a regular basis, I mean, you can get away with this with certain apps. I mean, if they're not logging in very often, if it's something where it sends them like a weekly report or it's batched, that's that stuff's not as big a deal. But if it's something they're logging into and they rely on it for their business, like depending on how critical it is in their business, it can be a really big deal. And you don't want to screw with other people's businesses. Yeah, that's the thing, right? If you have a team that is able to monitor and fix things, then you can, I'll say, break this rule or bend this rule, right? I mean, you can push code a couple days before you head off for vacation. But we had an informal rule at Drip almost from the start where we would not push code after it got earlier and earlier in the day, but I would say it was around two in the afternoon. So we'd really try to push stuff, you know, right around lunch or right after lunch. So we had several hours to, to really see it in production. And that was after it was fully tested and heavily, you know, unit tested and, and all that stuff. And then we really tried not to push stuff on Friday. And if we were going to push it on Friday, we would push it in the morning like it was kind of a 10 a.m. stop. And it, it always varies if, you know, if it's a typo fix or if it was one little JavaScript thing on one screen that could potentially break some minor feature. We were obviously more more loose with it. But if it was some major thing about rerouting the email sending through this different pipeline or if it was modifications to the scheduling, email scheduler, right? Really big, big deals that could really impact someone's business. Those things we took with a lot of caution. So it wasn't, again, wasn't just about vacation, but it was just about having sanity check on. If you have a team that can fix it, you have a little more leeway. But especially if you're a single founder kind of operating on your own, you need to be very cognizant of not breaking your app. Yeah, with Bluetick, like the most of the activity and usage is during the week, and on the weekends it really drops down quite a bit. So, like any major changes, I'm typically pushing them on the weekend because it's going to impact a much lower number of people. And you know, during the week, it's it's a bigger deal. But I can 
push something over the weekend and, and monitor it. And as long as I'm not seeing anything major go wrong with like the smaller number of emails that are being sent, it's not as big a deal. But otherwise, other major changes will go live, you know, eight, 10 o'clock at night. And then I just watch it for a couple hours to make sure that nothing major is going on and check it first thing in the morning to make sure that nothing else happened. But everyone's app is different. So you have to take that into account. The next category to look at is sales and pre-sales. So if you are doing demos of any kind, uh, typically you have some sort of a, a way for people to schedule those. The first thing you should do is block off your calendar so that people can't book sales demos with you while you're on vacation. There's times where that's absolutely necessary or where you may need to do a demo for somebody. I actually have on my calendar, there's certain unlisted links that you can use that will essentially ignore everything and it doesn't matter. But I use those specifically for situations where I really want to talk to somebody or it's a high-profile customer, I think that it's it's going to be a really good fit or I've been working on them for a long time. Those I want to give a little bit more priority to and I'm, I'm more lenient with those, and especially in terms of like the time of day and things like that. But you don't want to just let anybody sign up for your sales demos if you're not going to be around because then you're still kind of subjecting yourself to the mercy of whoever is putting themselves on your calendar. Uh, another thing is using an out-of-office responder. Now, I think this is a judgment call. I've gone vacations without putting those in there just because I didn't want to give people the having sending out messages that says, hey, I'm on vacation. But at the same time, like you may want to do that so that it does set expectations. It depends on how much email you get and what types of people you're getting that email from. The next thing you can do to help minimize some of the disruptions to your vacation is to hire somebody who is technical to be on call. Now, this could probably be a lot less expensive than you might think because you're not actually paying them if they're not working. It's really just you may say, hey, look, I'll give you a couple hundred dollars to be on call. And then if there's issues, I'll send them your way. And if you're going to do something like this, obviously, you want it to be somebody you can trust, either a friend, a colleague, a mastermind group member. Those are all great people to turn to, or if you have a DBA who's been helping you manage your database, those are all people who are probably going to be at least somewhat familiar with you and like the technologies you use. But you can provide them with at least minimal documentation and training on how things are architected and what would need to be done or what things impact other things in the environment that they may need to look at if there is a problem. And then obviously you need to give them credentials to be able to log in and get access to stuff. But Another thing that you can look at is having any sort of a hosted infrastructure can be really helpful in this. So if you're using AWS, like a lot of those things are generally taken care of for you. But if you have like your own virtual machines, maybe hosted at Rackspace or something like that, those types of companies do have their own support people where you can say, hey, look, let me turn this over to them. And that may require an ongoing support contract, but that might also be something that you look at for a much longer period of time on an ongoing basis. Yeah, this this one's tough. I mean, I think if there's network connectivity issues or if there's server issues then and you're on AWS, I'm going to assume most people are probably on some type of, of pass platform as a service like AWS or um, or Azure, then you can hand that over to them. But so much of this stuff winds up being application code. That's the thing that's changing constantly. That's the thing that, that is vulnerable. And I think getting someone up to speed just for a two-week vacation is going to be really, really tough. Even if you provide docs and all that stuff, you know how it is. It's just such a jungle when you when you haven't been working on an app for at least a couple of months and have some exposure. Like I can imagine if you had a kind of a junior developer who you'd ramped up over a couple months, he or she could handle 
some of, you know, 20 or 30% of the stuff that came up and then escalate to you as needed. But to try to get someone up to speed, just like drop them into an app and be like, all right, you know, if these things go wrong, try to do this and try to troubleshoot it. I think that'd be, I think this is a really tough approach. I haven't heard of anyone doing this, I guess, successfully that hasn't already had that developer doing it in an ongoing basis. You know, some, whether it's a contractor who's worked on the code from now and again, I like your idea of the DBA, the drip DBA who worked on it with us for years and is still the the DBA there. He was a contractor, but he would have been able to dip into the application code a little bit because he had enough knowledge of the app, you know, just digging around in there. Yeah, well, I think there's a difference between having somebody who is like technical enough as like the sysadmin at the sysadmin level versus somebody who like, hey, I need you to go look into this bug. Like stuff like that, I think, can probably be pushed off to the side for the most part, especially if you've done the the due diligence to say, okay, we're not going to push any new application code for like a week or two. Those things should have ironed themselves out for the most part. But then when you get into things like network connectivity issues or the database isn't responding, like things like that, most technical people, I think, should be able to handle that stuff. But if you have somebody who's a a DBA or a systems engineer, they can look at that stuff and start troubleshooting them. They're not so much looking at the application itself. They're looking at how do all these moving parts touch each other and why are they not working well together? So it's, it's being able to at least identify that type of stuff. And that kind of leads us into the next section, which is using third-party monitoring services. Most of us, I think, have our own logging mechanisms of some kind that are either built into the application or are taking those logs and putting them off onto a a third-party service. But there's lots of other third-party monitoring tools that you can use, like Pingdom and Uptime.com. Rob, you added Ropig in here. I've never used or heard of that one. but That's Laura Roeder's new startup. Ah, okay. Cool. There's also PagerDuty and Uptime Robot, and there's another service that I use called Datadog, which allows you to essentially constantly monitor what's going on on your servers and get detailed information about uh, performance metrics of the systems, various aspects of it, whether it's the database or the application or just different processes that are running. I use that just because there's lots of different things that need to be monitored, but a conjunction of all these things is that you can use those to figure out what needs to be escalated. And if there are certain things that will cross a certain threshold for you to actually pay attention to it, then those are the things that you would need to escalate to either the technical person that you have or a support person, or even maybe even ends up going to you at some point. Yeah. And our next tactic is to turn off your phone and email during the day, basically automate any major escalations to SMS and ignore everything else, right? So ignore your email, essentially ignore your support cues based on what we're we're saying above. It's to try to get to the point where you can vacation and enjoy and be present with yourself or with your family, whoever you're you know, on vacation with, and not feel the need to be checking inboxes all day and not feel like something's going to slip through and you know, you're going to miss it or not to get a, a ping, you know, a notification on your phone every time an email arrives because that is catastrophic for enjoying your vacation. So I I think it's a big thing. I'm someone who does not get notifications when emails arrive anyways. I think that's a pretty bad idea uh, for your productivity. But, you know, if you do that when you're not vacationing, then you need to turn that off when you are. 
Yeah, I turn pretty much all notifications on my phone off. The only one that would end up coming up and, and surfacing for the most part is things for, like certain things come from the server logs that get pop up on my phone and then text messages. That's basically it. Obviously, phone calls will come through. But other than that, like nothing is pushed to me in an interruptive way. And the last thing to take a look at is do some technical preparation and create a checklist and use that checklist to look for potential upcoming issues. So on this checklist, you would want to put things like, are my SSL certificates going to expire anytime soon? Um, you know, do the, does the system have enough disk space or does it look like it might run out sometime in the near future? What does the CPU usage look like? Do I need to do any sort of upgrades or give it additional disk space or plan for more resource capacity in the meantime that would help me get through that and help mitigate any potential problems that would result from maybe you get an influx of traffic, you get a bunch of signups, and your server gets bogged down. Well, if you upgrade the infrastructure a little bit, then that would help take care of it. The other thing you have to look at is things that are completely beyond your control. Uh, so, for example, a, a DDoS attack. What happens if your application or your website suffers a DDoS attack? Well, there's other things out there, like there's services like Cloudflare that can help you out with that. You can also build redundancy into the application or into the, the website itself. But again, these are the types of things that could come up, but they're also typically lower risk unless you have a larger, large enough footprint. So early on, these aren't the things that you're probably going to have to worry about too much. But even in the case of a, a DDoS attack, your customers are probably going to be pretty understanding. It's not like you can, it's not like you did something wrong. Yeah. And these are things that you kind of want to do anyways, right? This is stuff that helps if you have it during a vacation, but the, any of these things can happen at any time. I've had SSL certs expire on me I will say it's only, actually, I think it's only been once and it was when I acquired an app and of course the contact email for the, you know, the SSL cert expiring went to the old owner and like their personal email. And so I didn't get any emails and suddenly boom on a Sunday afternoon, it was hit tail. The Sunday afternoon, the, the site isn't SSL anymore, isn't secure. And, and Google Chrome has a conniption when that happens. So I remember calling GoDaddy on the phone Sunday afternoon at, at three and thinking, oh man, this is, there's just no chance, you know, this is going to be uh, 24 hours or something. And man, they, the guy helped me right away. I'm assuming this happens to a lot of people because I think it was Within 30 minutes, they issued a new cert and I was able to get it. So that would be terrible to happen on your vacation, right? If you're, like you said, you're out on, you know, some crap. What was the example you used earlier? Like on a roller coaster or like on the Ferris wheel. Yeah. Or, you know, out on a, I'm thinking like we were snorkeling a few weeks ago in Florida or you're out on some safari or, you know, you're doing something where either you have almost no cell service or you just don't have the headspace or the connectivity to, to handle this well. And it'll be a stressor and kind of ruin that whole part of your vacation. So th these are the kinds of things to have that checklist that you're probably thinking about on an ongoing basis, but really, you know, revisit before you head off the grid. One thing I found a little bit helpful for things like expiring SSL certificates or, you know, even like domain name renewals is I actually add them into my calendar and create it as a recurring task that needs to be addressed at some point. So that way I can I actually use teamwork for that piece of it. But uh, all of them are in there so that I know that even if I don't get a notification from whoever that is, I still see it as a task that needs to be taken care of. And if I renew for two years, it's not a big deal. I can just mark them off. But at least that way, I, I have my own internal notification that serves as something of a backup. Yeah, that's a nice way to do it. Helps you avoid lost domain names too, because I've had that happen, which is why I have that system in place now. Totally. Because it's the, I mean, email is 
mostly reliable, you know, and that non mostly part, the part that is outside of the the mostly circle can be pretty bad for domain names, SSL and certs and all that. So I think that about wraps us up for today. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.